This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to New Books Network, to the Hindu Studies Network. I am Swami Narasimhananda, the host of this network. And we have with us today R. E. L. Molendak, the author of the book, Frederick Max Muller and the Sacred Books of the East, published by the Oxford University Press. And he is the professor of History of Christianity and Philosophy in the Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies at the University of Groningen, the Netherlands. Welcome, Ari Molendek. How are you? I'm very good. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. So I'm looking forward to it, yeah? Yeah. So I was just wondering, can you please introduce yourself uh, to our audience at New Books Network? Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad to do so. It's always a bit difficult uh, where to begin, but it's perhaps good. I, I've lived my whole life in, in the Netherlands. Uh, I, I was born in Rotterdam, the, the main port of the Netherlands and one of the main ports in of Western Europe in 1957, so I'm almost 60 years old. I went to school, uh, Latin and Greek school in Rotterdam, and then I moved on to the University of Leiden, one of the, the oldest universities of the Netherlands. And I studied philosophy and theology and also a bit of drama. I'm trained as a theologian. Well, I must say theologians, you have various sorts of theologians. But in my case, I was very much interested in the history of ideas. So I'm not so much a practical theologian, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a minister, but I developed into a scholar of religion with a great interest in the history of ideas. So that's my main thing. So I had a couple of positions where I had to write books, uh, also very much focused on the history of theology and philosophy in the 19th and 20th century, especially in Germany and uh, in the Netherlands. So actually, this book is the first venture into a new area for me, and that's uh, the history of, uh, of Britain, also as a colonial empire. So after all these temporary positions, I finally, at 42, I got a position as a professor at the University of Groningen, at the Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies, and uh, I could develop my uh, myself really good. So I was a good environment, so it was perhaps nice to, to hear that also one of my colleagues, uh, Lawrence van den Bos, uh, also wrote a book on uh, Friedrich Max Müller, a very big 
book published with Brill. It's called Friedrich Max Müller, A Life Devoted to the Humanities, with a big, large uh, biographical section. So uh, I, I came to Max Müller because I, I got more and more interested in the in uh, how religious studies, so the, the scholarly study of religion, emerged in the Netherlands, in the West. And the Dutch were rather important uh, in the, the late 19th century, the first professorships in, in as it was called, uh, um, the signs of religion. It had to be really a science uh, with, with laws and uh, so really facts and so on. So one of the latest books I wrote before uh, the book of Max Müller was on the emergence of the science of religion in the Netherlands. And then I had, uh, and that was, was very nice. I had very good conversations about it before it was published and after it. So I was happy that and I was looking for a new project. And during sabbatical I had in, uh, in Germany, I, I was involved in, uh, well, what is it called? Let's see. Oh, it's a nice title, International Consortium. Sounds a bit like business for research in the humanities. And the name was Dynamics in the History of Religions Between Asia and Europe. It's located in Bochum. That's in, well, the middle of Germany in the the rural area. And I was a fellow there. And I thought, well, perhaps the dynamics in the history of religions between Asia and Europe Sounds a bit like uh, the venture of Max Müller, and it could be nice to, to do, at one hand, something it, which is related to the research I've done, and on the other hand, it's something quite new, because if you the, the history of Britain, well, I know some basics of it, but was not really knowledgeable in, in this area, so it was a, a challenge, as you call, as you would say. So, and then, uh, well, I... It took, took three, four years to, to complete the book and then uh, the whole process was uh, with the press. So, uh, and I'm very happy that, of course, that it's published with Oxford University Press because uh, the sacred books of the East, these 50 mighty volumes uh, of, of Indian wisdom, as Max Muller saw it, uh, were also published with Oxford uh, University Press. Friedrich Max Muller uh, was one of the delegates, as it's called, one of the directors directors of Oxford University Press, though perhaps it was not that difficult, but uh, the, the issue of was money, as it's always the case, and uh, the other delegates didn't expect that the series would be profitable and that they would lose money, and they invested their own money in it, so they were a bit hesitant to, 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 to start a series, but then it clearly turned out that uh, that the book sold rather well. So then a second series was started. They, they started with 24 volumes and then later decided to, to do another 24, 25. So, and, and then an index to, to conclude it. So, um, that, that's in short, uh, well, not the history of my whole life, but perhaps a bit of an intellectual biography. I could tell you more, but then you could ask, you might can ask. So, so you have already mentioned how you came to write this particular book, but in the context in which you situated this book, uh, why only Max Muller? What was the specific thing about Max Muller? Why why did you choose uh, particularly Max Muller, where you could have chosen oh. other Indologists? Okay, thank you for this question. Yeah, so uh, the, the first thing I have to, to say, of 
that in uh, I'm a historian of Western ideas, so that that that's the good thing because at the one end, so I can really uh, well sketch what Muller, Max Muller had in mind with this series. The bad part, so to speak, is that I'm not knowledgeable in the sacred books of the East. So the book is very much on Max Muller, and the reason why I turn to to Max Muller is that in the in the historiography of uh, what is called the science of religion or religious studies or comparative religions, uh, which started in the, well, let's say in the 70s of the, the 19th century, you have the, 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 a few uh, scholars uh, in the West uh, who are credited with uh, starting the whole venture of comparing religion in a scholarly way. And the two founders, as it was called, are a Dutch person, the the Leiden professor Cornelis Petrus Thiele, who was in Leiden, and who had the first chair in the science of religion, Religionswissenschaft, it's also called religious studies. And the other towering figure was Friedrich Max Müller, who spent most of his life in, in Oxford. Uh, and it's also credit. And Max Müller is the one who, who gave actually the first series of lectures in the signs of religion, as it was called, in the, the early 70s of uh, 8017, actually, a whole series, and that he, he, he turned it into a book, The Signs of Religion, and it was one of the key texts, the, the founding text of, of uh, the signs uh, of religion. And that, so that was the reason uh, to, to turn to, to Max Müller, and uh, because there is also already quite quite a few books and articles on Max Müller, I thought, well, it's perhaps interesting to focus not only on the ideas of Max Müller, although the book is very much about Max Müller, I have to, to admit. Uh, it's perhaps good to focus uh, on one of his big uh, big ventures, and one of the, the, the big things, of course, he did uh, is the edition of the sacred books. He was uh, the, the main editor. He didn't do some translations of uh, of texts himself, but uh, most of the work uh, of the translation was done by, by colleagues, mainly European, British and German colleagues, but also a few uh, scholars from, uh, from the East. So, well, that, that's, I don't know if I can say much more about why I turned to, to Max Müller. So it was also, as I said, a challenge to do something uh, new. And it is, it is, at least in, in the history of ideas, which, which is in my field, it's, it's very much, well, the, the ideas, well, it, that ideas also mat- materialize. So it's, sorry, I don't pronounce it very good, but are somehow not only ideas in the minds of people somehow have consequences in books, and encyclopedias in um, textbooks. So I thought the sacred books is is, is a good subject uh, um, uh, for this. So so it was was nice to do that. The second chapter of the book is about how it came about, uh, uh, what ideas Max Müller had, how he contacted various uh, scholars, how long the project 
took uh, but but mainly my interest is in the, the key ideas and the key methods which are involved in this huge thing because it, it, it evolved yeah a, a new type of scholarship uh, as I would call it it's often called big science and big science is associated with uh, well with his labor- laboratories with, with huge things in the natural sciences but if you actually look and have a closer look and you see that especially in Germany around 1900 and also the sacred books are these are a specimen of this it started actually with big editions like those of the sacred books of the east or of the, the Christian church fathers and so on which which were financed in Germany by the Prussian state uh, and of course in, in another course but but in England uh, it was mainly private money which was invested so the money of, of the press but on the other hand it was also uh, subsidized by the East Indian office of the British Empire which had a somewhat separate status but nevertheless was interested um, to, 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 to support um, this series financially What do you think is the most striking thing about the personality of Max Muller? Well, that, that's an intriguing uh, question um, Mostly uh, I'm not really a biographer, but doing intellectual history, of course, you, you also have a look at, at the personality uh, of your subject. And most of the times I have a pretty good idea about what kind of person uh, it is that I write about. But Friedrich Max Müller is a difficult uh, subject in this uh, respect and uh, on the one hand he was a very charming man he was um, perhaps it's too negative a word a wheeler dealer he entertained guests at his house he played the piano he had a, a very good network uh, so to speak, uh, in the scholarly sense, in a private sense, and also he was very good acquainted with Queen Victoria. He presented uh, the first series of the Sacred Books of the East, the first series are the 20, first 24 volumes, to Queen Victoria, to other important uh, people like the Sultan of Turkey and uh, the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church in, in Rome. Uh, so, and, and that that, that of course gives a different situation. On the one hand, uh, you had to be very, uh, uh, let's say, polite and nice, and on the other hand, he had to, 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 well, to, 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 well, what, what's the word I would like to use? To, to, to use pressure on his fellow colleagues to, to get the work done. So, uh, what I'm saying by this, that on the one hand, you have if you look at the literature, at the biographies and uh, the letters of, of, of people with whom Max Müller worked, they, they appreciate him and they think he's a kind, nice, hospital man and so on. On the other hand, you see also uh, quite a few expressions that they don't like Max Müller. That Max Müller was perceived in Oxford as a foreigner as a German, which was 
bad to be a German at that time because the Germans were supposed to, to represent more liberal kinds of religion and theology and therefore endanger the Anglican faith, the Anglican doctrine of the Church of England, and also used people very much for his own uh, purposes and not in their own right. One of his colleagues, Mark Patterson, said he only valued this uh, insofar as he could use it. That it's one of the most harsh, harshest um, uh, judgments I, I know of. But it, it, it's, it's therefore very hard to, to, to see what kind of person he was. He has great quality qualities as a manager and um, uh, is, is, and uh, good qualities of conversation, no doubt, but it, on the other hand, also if you, you read, but I'm, I'm not very knowledgeable in, in this area, his, his correspondence as far as they're published with, with his Indian uh, uh, colleagues, and so there is lots and lots of pressure. He's a bit of an authoritative person and well, it depended a bit of uh, what your relation with Max Müller was how how, how you, you appreciate his personality. So it's, I, I find it really very hard to, just to, 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 to come to, to a final uh, verdict on, on the man. Perhaps the, the, this ambivalence which I now describe is, is one of the, the key uh, elements that, that he had, as it's now called, nowadays called, various personae or personalities that, that, that could, could conflict. He could be the, 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 the caring husband, no doubt, because he had terrible personal losses. He lost two of his daughters at a very early uh, uh, age, and he was very, very sad about it. So, that's all. so he, he was one of the... the, the, the his father was, was one of the f- most famous uh, German composer, uh, no, uh, poets at the time. Uh, his father uh, wrote Die, Die Winterreise und die Schöne Müllerin, uh, the, the travel in... in winter which is set to music by by schubert and therefore became famous so he has also a kind of sentimentality and he also indulged a bit in his in his loss so he coped with it and he wrote uh, big and large um, diaries about in which he addressed his his his, his daughter we who was passed away at the age of 16 or 18 directly, so to speak. It's, it, it's intriguing. It's not the main subject, also. I, I did, did, did do one chapter on, on Max Müller's life and work because I thought it, it, you must really know a bit about what he has done. And I, I tried to organize the first chapter in a thematic way, so not, not just telling the, the story of his life, but addressing um, his publication strategy, uh, his, well, his pride, as um, uh, work also, which, which is huge, of course, I don't know, but it is, it, it's, it's hardly possible for one person to, to read the whole work, all the publications of uh, Max Muller, you know, understand how he had the time to 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 write all these things so it's 
it, it, well, it was a challenging job uh, to do, and I, I wanted to, to write a, a short book about it, and not uh, not a book, and uh, not a book about of of, of eight hundred or six hundred pages, but just a slim book, which could also be an introduction to the work of um, Max Murray in general. So that, that was. Well, I don't, I, perhaps I, um, I didn't answer your question directly, but, uh, well, I hope it gives you an idea. So. Now, you are working from the uh, discipline of history of ideas, which, as I understand, is relatively a new discipline. And you are working in the uh, idea or the history of uh, the science of religion. Uh, do you think someone else is also uh, doing some significant work in this field or uh, because it comes as a very new attempt to position uh, science of religion in the uh, discipline of history of ideas so is there any parallel work or uh, is this one of the books which will uh, start begin this kind of work because you're relating the uh, big science here oh yeah yeah so big science is is, is a concept which is mostly used in describing uh, and i stress the history of the natural sciences and not so much in the history of the humanity. So also it's called science of religion and science uh, of re- science in, in, in English uh, refers uh, to, the, to the natural sciences uh, primarily, whereas in, in German and also in Dutch and other languages, uh, science or Wissenschaft refers to 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 the natural sciences and the humanities and the social sciences, which is perhaps a bit um, misleading. So I always get criticism that I use the word science, whereas actually humanities or scholarships is, is used. And, um, yeah, to, to make this, I, I'm not completely sure if I got your question, but what I'm doing is you have this the emergence of, uh, let's say, the science of religion. Science of religion is basically... Um, the comparison of of main religions in the world, which which emerged in my view this field of study in the late nineteenth century, I don't think it's, it emerged earlier in uh, in the, the history of uh, of scholarship. And yes, in at least in the Netherlands, but also in England and the United States and Germany, there are scholars like me who who describe and analyze the history of these uh, scholarly practices like, uh, let's say, uh, the science of religion, which is nowadays often called religious studies or even the study of religion. And uh, other types of scholarships are also, so the study of English would be a subject for uh, the historian of ideas or the historian of sciences, including uh, the humanities. So that, that's a real big branch of, uh, of study. And uh, the tendency is to focus in this, in doing this history of humanities as proper best called, and in this case, the the study of religion as it emerged, the comparative study of religion as it emerged in the late 19th century, is a subject of study. And uh, various books are written uh, uh, and published about this subject, because especially in the humanities, 
you want to know where you come from. For instance, a neighboring field, which is the astrology of religion, also has uh, a big historiography, and people want to know who is really important, so to speak. What, what are the, the, the points of references? Who were the founding fathers? What were the important series? What were the defining encyclopedias? And so on. So in that sense, uh, scholars of religion, uh, of scholars of religious studies, as it's all also called, it's always a bit difficult, all the different terms. So is an important thing which is done in academia at least in the Netherlands and I would also say also I'm not less familiar also perhaps not very good familiar but also in India you see actually that uh, um, at least not perhaps not nowadays Exactly, but uh, in the second half of the the, 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 the the 20th century, you had various conferences on the work of Max Müller, uh, which somehow, well, in my view, to celebrate him as a scholar of religion and especially also uh, the person who edited the Rig Veda, I hope I pronounce it correctly, in, uh, in Sanskrit. And these six volumes, huge volumes, also subsidized by by English institutions, uh, were presented by the Prince of Wales on his trip to India to to to, to Indian uh, officials. So uh, I would say that, that that also in in India, as far as I can see, it, it, there is a kind of tradition which studies the history. Well, the history of Sanskrit, the, study, the history of the study of Sanskrit, the, the importance of Max Müller for uh, in this field of study. So, well, I hope this gives you an impression of of the field in which I'm working. Yes. And, uh, what What do you think uh, during the course of your work? Did you have any idea, or uh, did you get an inkling on what could be the you know, propelling factor or motive? Uh, behind Max Muller's translating this, taking up the series of sacred books of the East. Uh, y- y- yes, that that that's that's one of the things I I wanted to find out. Of course, even before I started, I, I knew a bit about Max Muller, uh, and in this book, I tried to 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 come to a more precise analysis of what. What his goal, what his intentions, what what drove him to to edit this 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 huge project of the sacred books of the East, which which, which, which the first volume on the Upanishads, which was translated by Max Müller himself, appeared in eighteen seventy nine, and the last volume, which was the Index, appeared in nineteen ten. After Max Müller's death, uh, Max Müller himself died in 1900, but he supervised the, most of the, the translations, and he corresponded with the translators uh, about uh, about introduction, sometimes about a translation that depended, of course, on uh, on the language. The, one of the the most close collaborators of Frank Müller was uh, uh, James Leggy. That was an Oxford colleague who translated Chinese texts. Uh, 
for the sacred books of, uh, of the East, and Max Muller supervised all those books. Uh, but your question is, uh, what, what was Max Muller's main goal? Well, the main goal was simply to make these important texts of the East available to an educated audience or public in the West, mainly in Britain, but also outside uh, Britain. And the idea was that we had to have precise translations and complete translations. And that was not because everybody, everything in these texts was valuable, according to, to, to Max Müller. But the key idea was that basic religious ideas, which in his view were important for Christian religion, but could also be found in Indian religion, were related or even similar or even the same in Eastern religion. And of course, the idea was that, uh, so to speak, many ideas in Christianity were borrowed, so to speak, from Indian religion. So the idea was that in these sometimes very hard to read translations, which, which don't, it's not easy to understand what actually meant, but in these texts there are uh, uh, nuggets of gold, as Max Müller liked to say, so important basic religious truths which were important to Western men. So the basic idea was that um, the West and the East were connected by language similarities, but also by similarities in religion. And his ultimate dream, his utopia, so to speak, was that um, if everyone realized that the, the core of all these different religions was basically the same, we could develop as humankind a uh, a, a religion of humanity, as he, he called it. So a religion which was shared by all people, at least by all educated people all over the world, and would co- contribute to, well, to a uh, peaceful uh, understanding of, of people all over the globe. So that, that was his, his dream so to speak, which is very much contested, of course, if if it's really uh, true that, that all these religions are basically at root uh, about the same. So what, what is actually done by Max Müller, if you analyze what he's doing, he is, let's say, very much focused on the spiritual core of religion. So deep down, Religion is about a contact with the infinite, with uh, a form of God, or if you, if you don't want the word God, the transcendent. Uh, so that's what religion about. So technically, that's called what he he does is a spiritualization of religion. So he, he looks in all religions for a spiritual core. So and that's somehow the experience of the transcendent or whatever name you, you want to call it. And and that's the core. So he's not much interested in ritual, for instance, which is according to modern contemporary scholars nowadays also an important subject or about material culture, about the things which which matter, but he is very much focused on this spiritual core of religion, which 
according to, to, to most scholars and also to me, uh, a kind of, well, it doesn't do justice to the fullness of the variety of religion, reducing them to, to a core, which is the same in all uh, religions. But it was his dream, and it was also a dream, of course, of peaceful living together, and also a dream of emancipation, at least for the colonial subjects, as they were seen, uh, uh, especially in, in the late 19th century. So, on the one hand, um, there is a sense, always in Max Müller's work and in the contemporary scene, a sense of Western superiority of the, the colonial power, so to speak. But at the other hand, Max Müller, also in the, the eyes of his Indian uh, friends, contributed very much to the emancipation of uh, Indian religiosity in whatever sense. So that 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 basically his dream. The dream is about peaceful understanding, about religion not leading to violence, not leading to, to all kinds of trouble. But if we come to the core of all these religions, man will be able to, to live peacefully together all over the globe. That's the answer. So the core of this work was based on translation. Uh, do you think uh, native scholars uh, from wherever the texts were based from were used uh, or they were actively participating in this project? Or do you think that their participation could have been more or less what do you think about the participation of the native scholars from where these tests belonged? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 that's a very good uh, question. Sorry. Uh, that's, uh, so that, and it's a very good question because it's not easy to answer. So, basically, uh, as I see it, it was a Western project, you say, mainly by Western scholars which selected which texts were to be translated and Max Müller to to a great extent also determined who would translate these books so in that sense it's very much a Western or even colonial project on the other hand of course there were indigenous uh, scholars uh, involved who must have influenced Max Müller because they corresponded about probably, but the correspondence is not any longer there, so it, it's, it's, it's a guess. But they must have corresponded not only about uh, technical details of translation but also which texts were to be included. So uh, we don't know much about it, but uh, what I must say, I, I attended a conference in Germany uh, three years ago, I guess, yeah, just before we moved here to, to Utrecht, which is a town in the, the middle of the Netherlands. And uh, the, the colleagues there in Germany had very much the intention to, to show that the contribution of Indian scholars and also Japanese scholars who were involved in translating sacred books must have been bigger than I suggested in the text I presented at that uh, conference in uh, in Heidelberg. So it, it's hard because we have so well, there is not much evidence, uh, so to speak. But of course, it can be the case. 
if you look closer at the sources and also the correspondence uh, in languages I don't I don't read so to speak it, it could turn out that that the input so to speak of indigenous scholars from India Japan and so must have been bigger than the sources as I studied them show so it's it's hard it's hard to say, but uh, it, 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 it's clear, at least, that that although Max Müller was was the, the man who made the decisions and said, "Well, we include this, we include that book, and we don't do this." We, uh, as far as Islam uh, was concerned, only the, the Quran was was included, and you could have included other authoritative uh, t- texts. But that doesn't make it impossible that. Other people involved in this edition contributed to the selection of the texts and uh, and also, of course, translated uh, the text. So, I'm sorry, it's it's, it's hard to answer, but it's it's an issue which is, uh, as far as I can see, uh, hotly debated at the moment in the scholarly scene. And my position is a bit that I stress very much the role of Max Müller, but there are scholars most of them, uh, let's see, uh, scholars of uh, Indian religion or Chinese religion and languages who think, well, that's not so clear as you posit it. Probably the scholars involved who were working in the East have a bigger contribution than you suggest. And, of course, the idea of Max Müller was to, to select... Uh, authoritative text, so not just text from the East, but text which which has authority. Canonical was also one of his big words, so text which had the same status as the, the, the big Christian Old Testament and New Testament, which are the key texts of uh, the Christian uh, religion and also Judaism, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament. And he wanted to select texts which, which, which were important and were acknowledged by, uh, let's say, the Indians as as having authority for them. So not just texts which were interesting and showed some spirituality. No, it had to be texts which had uh, power, so to speak, and which were accepted. So in that sense, there is uh, a relation between Max Müller and the informants or translators, whoever, and also people from India to Oxford, where Max Müller lived, and they must have spoken about uh, these things. And, uh, of course, there was already a, a corpus of text which, which were deemed important and had authority in, in the various countries and the regions which were included in sacred books. So it's, it, it's a nice question, but it's still the answer is still open to a certain extent. But I, I try to give a balanced answer at one end. Max Müller was very authoritative in selecting the text. On the other hand, he selected texts which were deemed important in the East and which were also uh, the selection which were, were influenced by, by people he corresponded with or talked to, visited him in Oxford. He never went to India, by the way, but uh, he had a, a correspondence with, uh, with Indian scholars uh, from, the, from the Brahmo Samai, I hope I pronounced it correctly, and somewhat enlightened, as it was called, Hindu group. So, yeah, okay, I start repeating myself, so I stop here.
<laughs> so, uh, you see, this whole project, as you point out in your book, was based on the concept of uh, textualization of religion or that by letting open, um, making more accessible these texts, there could be better understanding amongst religions. And uh, that approach itself uh, can be questioned and is being questioned by many scholars today that uh, that is probably an elitist approach. So what do you have to say about uh, this kind of overly depending on textual sources to understand religious traditions or to bring harmony between them? Yes, I agree. Um, of course, it, 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 it has been an elitist project. And um, if you look at how good these expensive books sold, you see the first edition of each volume uh, comprised 1,500 copies, so which, which is... Well, it's, it's, it's more than nothing, so to speak, but it's, it's not not a huge amount of uh, of copies which were distributed. Uh, you can also ask who actually read these these books, which sometimes were not easy to read. So it, it is an elitist uh, project. I, I I would I would uh, agree. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what I could say more about it. So, yeah, that, that's a bit of speculation. But uh, the other thing which comes to mind is that, of course, these translations have played a role in the study of, uh, let's say, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, and so on. So some of the translations uh, are still used. Uh, if my colleagues uh, from uh, other departments of Oriental Studies are to be uh, uh, trusted, most of them are not because they are integrated. So the the, the, the copies were received in, in a scholarly tradition, but uh, whether you can say that this series made a big impact on uh, on how uh, representatives of various religious saw, perceived each other, saw each other, contacted each other, I don't think that, that it made a huge impact in that sense. Only in, in some circles, in people who, of course, who could read English. It was the first thing. It was translation. So not everyone all over the world then uh, at the end of the 19th century could read uh, English. It was also, of course, a problem in selecting uh, the translators. You had the important and influential scholars in, in France and in Germany whose English was not good enough to tra- translate these texts into English. Some of, perhaps some of them uh, gave Max Müller a German or a French text and that they were later translated into English, but I didn't find any proof of that because the correspondence, uh, well, is not any, is extinct, uh, doesn't, isn't there anymore. But um, to, to give a short answer to, to your question, uh, uh, yes, it is elitist to concentrate on texts and uh, religion is very much about ritual, of course. There are also oral traditions 
people recite things. So, yeah, the important, yeah, it, it's an elitist project, no doubt. I agree. And uh, when we are talking about the textualization of religion and uh, interpreting of texts in understanding religions, automatically the problem of translation comes. And uh, since you yourself are coming from a non-English background, uh, how do you feel that even uh, in the uh, smaller context of narrower context of science of religion or religious studies, the translation or uniformity of translation techniques is important? And in the broader context of the history of ideas, how do you feel that the uh, different kinds of translations uh, and different nuances lost or brought in because of translations affect how we look at different ideas or how we study religion? Well, that's a hard question to answer. And that, of course, I must admit, uh, is one of questions or issues which ideally would or should be addressed in a book on the sacred books of the East. I say it very clearly in, in the preface and introduction that my point of view is that is of this is that of the historian of Western ideas. What did Max Muller want with this series? I'm no judge actually on the quality of the translations and in how far they they perhaps even distort and original intention, what I learned from other people, so I stress what I learned from other people is, and what I see also, is that it was sometimes very, very difficult to, to come to a translation. Max Müller is, uh, speaks very clearly about it in some of the introductions to the volumes he translated for the sacred books of the East, that it's, in his view, sometimes almost impossible to, to, to give a, a translation which is, is good enough, which is adequate, which expresses the precise meaning of the original also, so translation is also always doing some harm, so to speak, to 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 the text you translate. And even if you translate poetry from from German into English, then then already, and these these are related uh, languages, and also can be very very clear actually what what it means whereas some of these ancient religious texts okay well to summarize so translations are always difficult because it's it's very hard to to get a really adequate translation and it's especially difficult in the case of some of these very old religious texts because even experts don't agree about what the meaning of a specific sentence or specific paragraph actually is. So, uh, and Max Müller was very much aware of it, uh, of this problem. And in another case, not in the sacred books of these, the sacred books of these had to present translations as such. So uh, the translators of the sacred book were uh, specifically forbidden to, to comment uh, 
on that translation to give footnotes in which you say, well, this is difficult. But in other translations, uh, Max Müller uh, did. He, he gave a translation with a, a running commentary, so to speak, where he addressed the problems uh, and perhaps also the, the different renderings which could be given of the same passage, uh, conflicting um, translations even so it depends very much the text you have but but most of it, it, it's hard and and i must say many many uh, translators of sacred books of the east in the series complain about the fact how difficult it is to translate uh, the original text into english and given an adequate translation so it, it, it's it's a big big issue yeah for Müller it, it was also a, a very big issue but because his main thing of course was to show that all these religions share a spiritual core so to speak uh, it was not that much of an issue but on the other hand he wanted to present these eastern religious canonical sort of texts to the west in its entirety. So it was a big issue. Well, Ari, we have taken up a lot of your time today. Um, can you just uh, tell us what you're working on right now? Oh, thank you. Well, I'm working on several things. Um, most of them in the in the history of ideas or the history of uh, branches of learning uh, and so on. So I'm now involved in, let, let's me men, let mention two, two projects. Uh, the most famous scholar we, we had, or the most, most famous scholar in religious studies or in the science of religion in the Netherlands uh, was Gerardus van der Leeuw. He was one of the advocates of phenomenology of religion which tried to, to, to also to address the essence of religious uh, phenomenon and especially to, 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 uh, to, to, to give a description, so to speak, from the inside, not on an outsider's perspective, but to do justice to what uh, religious practitioners actually experience. So it's, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to it. It's one of the, the, the projects. And the other, which is still in its infancy, is a project about uh, the rise of, let's say, uh, atheism or perhaps more precise agnosticism. So people who say, well, I, I, I'm no judge in these things. I, I'm, I just don't have enough information to judge if there is a divine sphere or is a transcendent sphere or or so, but that's in its emphasis a huge project. I'm looking now in the history of the, the Netherlands, but I, I want to do a more comparative uh, project, and the ideal would be a, a sort of history of the, the rise of the category of the secular opposed to religious or sacred in some Western country. So these are the two projects I'm involved now. So we can look forward to uh, reading two wonderful books, I believe. Yes, well, articles at least. Thank you. Very nice of you, yeah. Yeah, I want to thank you for being on the show today. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure our audience also will enjoy it. Take care. Okay. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.